and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riff Raff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Today we're talking to Luke Treasure, author of Kismet, about creating rounded characters who are outside of your wheelhouse, the impact of technology on contemporary narratives, and how a setting you love can bring your story alive. Anna is at her desk holding her phone at a tilted angle so that Ingrid can't see the circular map on her screen. The circle contains her floor of the office, a central portion of Great Marlborough Street, a slice of Oxford Street and, in fact, since the circle is actually a sphere, hundreds of co-workers on the three floors above and two below. In all this, there are no blue dots. It's disappointing. When she last used Kismet, almost four years ago, she seemed to make at least one match every time she logged on, more often two sometimes three. There was even one dizzying occasion on the dance floor of a club in Hackney when she checked her phone and the cluster of blue dots resembled a cartoon bunch of grapes. She would like to think that since then her personality has become more refined and mature, or that there are simply fewer single people, but she is nagged by a more sinister explanation. Perhaps the information Kismet is compiling and sifting, the websites she visits, the playlists she creates, the items she buys, the pictures she likes, the people she befriends, in short, everything, is generating a scrambled scrambled signal, one ridden with contradictions, that will match her with deviants and fringe dwellers, reclusive creeps and sleazy older men. Hi Luke, and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast. Hello. Ah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, For our listeners who've yet to pick up a copy of your debut novel, Kismet, um, please can you tell us what it's about? Sure, so Kismet is a book about... A young woman called Anna, who discovers that her boyfriend is going to propose on her 30th birthday. And that sends her into a bit of an existential meltdown. And in order to test her feelings, she downloads a matchmaking app called Kismet. And in the novel, this app isn't a normal matchmaking app that we're familiar with, it's so effective that it's actually replaced all dating and matchmaking. People just use it for all romantic encounters. And the reason it's so effective is that because it uh, gathers the entirety of someone's online data and behaviour and uses that to come up with an incredibly sophisticated algorithm. And it's so effective that everyone uses that. And... Um, yeah, Anna downloads it and the story goes from there. It's so romantic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Big data. Well, we've got lots of questions about dating apps, mm. but we'll, we'll come on to that. <laughs> um, so your central character, Anna, she's, she's very well-rounded and she's very relatable, especially I'm 32, I'm a journalist, I'm a female, you know, she's, mm. you know, I am Anna. <laughs> I think we all are Anna right. to an extent. Um, well, yeah, I mean, parts of me are. Um, but at times she's very vulnerable and a bit mm. of a fuck up. And other times she's absolutely kick-ass and she's, you know, quite, she's bossing it basically. Mm. How did you write her so that you got the balance between the two that, so she wasn't too much of a wet drip, mm. um, but wasn't too unbelievable? I suppose that was mainly an exercise in trial and error because I was always trying to get that kind of balance where. You know, she is um, self-sabotaging. She does things that people find really frustrating because it's like, why don't you just do the logical thing? Why don't you just do the straightforward thing? But she often does the counterintuitive things. So I would write those 
actions or those thoughts that she'd have, but also try and balance those with her actually accessing what she considers to be her mo- her best self or her more um, aspirational self, where she is a bit more um, together. So it was always a bit of a juggling act, and I and I think that's one of the elements in the book where I really benefited from the reading of uh, of trusted. Um, other writers and colleagues and, and my partner who could read that and um, also relate to the character and tell me the bits where, you know, it's just too much. There were, there were some bits where, you know, she took those self-sabotaging behaviours to, to extremes and then it was just a case of, you know, sort of um, bringing those in or then um, extending them in other places. Oh, can you give us an example of something that was too much that you took out? Um, sure. So in on her actual birthday, so the the central part of the book is all one long chapter based on her on her birthday and um, she has to go into work and finish this incredibly important piece of journalism she's got a big deadline and originally she went to a local pub to actually calm her nerves and to settle down because she was going through a sort of panicky um, fit so she went into a pub and actually started drinking and then some people that read that were like come on I mean she's just being a bit too ridiculous at this point like let's just let's have her doing something that's a bit more relatable than going into a pub at lunchtime on a really important work day and trying to sort of dream through. That is so relatable. Okay. (laughs) The amount of times I've actually done that. (laughs) I was like, I mean, we read a a piece that that described her as unlikable, but really it seems like it's more realistic. You know, you can't, you Mm. have to have that kind of, it's important to have those aspects of a character in order for them to be well balanced and also also believable and also so that you root for them, but also Mm. see yourself in them and all that kind of jazz um what, when you set out to write Anna what um what kind of woman did you want to create or, or was there anything in particular that you were hoping to communicate through her kind of way of approaching life I think the main idea that I had for for her is someone who struggles to have a strong identity someone who maybe feels the pressure to be lots of multiple conflicting things, whether it be to have a settled domestic life, to have um, a reliable career, to be able to earn enough money, to have the sort of niceties of a middle-class life, to have an active social life, um, to have hobbies or extracurricular activities that allowed her to express her talent and her passion. So all these things, I think... They're, they're not achievable. There, there has to be some compromise between those different sort of aspirations. So I wanted to have a person who felt the pull of all those different uh, pressures and uh, was, was struggling to kind of navigate her way to having a sort of clear identity of herself. Um, so I think that's my kind of starting point. And I think that's something that I sort of related to as well. Like there's lots of areas where I'm interested in, but I never, maybe I felt like I never really associated with like a particular group of people like a real sort of subculture so I was just kind of interested in someone who is in that sort of middling um, zone. It's interesting isn't it because like you know those feel like things I, I battle on a daily basis and like it's kind of interesting that she um, you know like that the thing that she kind of like turns to for kind of like hopefully like the kind of definition of herself is like love mm. which is such a kind of like I mean is is it's a battle, isn't it? Because I think we all, we all, that's, that's essentially what we all want. But it's yeah. like, but it's, it's like, is love the be all and end all? And like, is that, I'm, yeah, mm. just more of a topic, really, rather than a question. <laughs> definitely, no. I mean, well, I, I definitely agree. And I feel that, um, lots of people that I know, and myself included, 
feel this pressure to make their lives extraordinary or pristine, and it's almost like a sort of obligation to try and make your life uh, perfect in many ways. And I think our romantic lives are absolutely fundamental to everyone's sort of quality of, of life, and that is one area where we're sort of expected to shoot for the moon. You're not. No one's really. Um, getting that much counsels to just settle down with the, the first person they meet. Everyone is kind of um, aspiring for these same sort of ideals of romance. So I definitely wanted to bring that in as a, as you know, the primary pressure that she feels. Oh, sorry. It's, <laughs> get out of my way. It's quite, it's quite a millennial idea as well, isn't it? That there's, there is that trope slightly that millennials all want to change the world and we don't want to settle for a boring job and, and or something that's not completely true love. Or, yeah, you know. it's mm. that we all deserve to be following our dreams and our passions. And Anna does technically qualify at twenty nine as millennial. Is it as, official? Assume. <laughs> I, th- I think we can say she, she's a millennial. Okay, she's one yeah. of us. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether I've really classed myself. This is a thing. I'm not yeah. sure I, I have ish- well, issues. Well, te- I mean, technically, if you're born between... This is where I can't remember what the dates are, but I know that I do... F- I hate it, but I do fall into that category. So I suppose mm. it's how closely you identify with that. But I think a lot of millennials are going to read the book and identify with those ideas. Yes, absolutely. No, I think it's one of those terms like hipsters, where there's very few people that self-identify, but it is definitely a a clear um, group that you can um, define. But yeah, I I agree that she is a millennial, and I definitely agree that that is a trope that I think is is very active in in that generation. And, And I think that social media is a big player in that, because I think what social media does is it serves up these daily... Uh, pictures of people that are actually putting these um, supposedly idealized lives into practice and they're having amazing jobs or incredibly um, active social lives or really fulfilled seeming relationships so people are constantly comparing themselves not to abstract ideals but to people they went to school with or people they used to work with and I think that's um, that's a real driver in that phenomenon that I was trying to bring out. Mm, and you, I mean you cover a lot of those types of issues you know Anna suffers from imposter syndrome at work and she is she's indecisive about her love life you know without giving too much away and she has you know also you know worries about committing long term to one person she you've obviously written chosen to write her from a female perspective Mm. and a lot of these ideas are going to be quite firmly embedded in the female experience that you know she'll be experiencing these things having grown up as a woman and Mm. you know what the societal impact of that how did you make sure that you know Anna rang true as, as 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 female when you're writing as a man well uh that was one of the bigger sort of decisions that I had that I made to write it as a as a female but then weirdly when I look back I can't even remember the time when I did make the decision because to me it was such a natural extension of this topic because I felt that from my own experience those kinds of pressures that I wanted to talk about are more keenly felt by women at a particular time of their life than by men when it comes to the issue of settling down and I mean for straightforward biological reasons and also for um, sort of more complex regrettable societal ones that the pressure is definitely more keenly felt by by women whereas for men they're sort of that the, uh, the time sensitivity isn't nearly as, as acute. Men can just spend their 30s doing pretty much you know, whatever they want. It doesn't make that much difference in the long term. So I don't really remember making the decision, but then when I was going to embark on it, I, uh, I just wrote one chapter and submitted it to a group of uh, 
women. It was just a writing group, just people exclusively with women, just to see what they thought. And um, they seemed to be okay with it. I mean, they picked up other issues with that initial chapter, but in terms of the the gender, they seemed to think it was okay. So then I just decided to go for it, to not really think about gender too much, because I thought I might cripple myself if I was trying to, um, you know, come up with uh, decidedly female actions or behaviour. So I just wrote it and then used the all the various women that have supported me with the, the writing of the book to tell me where I was going wrong. So my partner and my agent, my editor, my copy editor, they're all women. So they were just there just to point out the, the bits that didn't ring true. I mean, yeah, I never would have um, tried to, to do it without quite a lot of, you know, open-mindedness to um, female critique. And it's really refreshing to have a book that addresses that women find the idea of settling down quite daunting as well. You know, there's such a kind of narrative about men getting cold feet and, you know, dashing off before, mm. you know, and leaving before they have to, to choose, a, you know, and get married. And mm. actually, the old ball, it, it's that, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, those kind of phrases and stuff really feed into that narrative. Whereas actually, I, I, I know, or maybe I don't know, a lot of women who faced indecision, you know, mm. in that area. Yeah. So, And you've created this kind of this app that's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, a wonderful idea that kind of on the like kind of in a black mirror kind of world like you know you kind of makes you think um you know in a way there's parts of it that sound like it would be just a like a lot of your plate if something somebody could just sort it out for you mm. <laughs> how did you kind of create something like that that was believable like kind of or not believable but like how did you what that must have been quite a fun process to kind of think about how that was formed mm. you're talking yeah. about kismet the yeah, app. The yeah. App. yeah 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 sorry yeah, it was almost like I had to invent it and come yeah. up with the branding and the marketing plan and how the company would be um, constructed. Yeah, that was quite um, quite an enjoyable process. Um, and I suppose the useful and also quite anx- anxiety-inducing element was that the real world was catching up with me all the time. So mm. I was constantly able to actually draw on what was new in the world of dating apps. So halfway through the um, the writing of the book that app happened came yeah. about and um, then Google have just constantly become better at synchronizing data from lots of different things that people do online so it was constant I was constantly able to look at the the real world for inspiration for how this app would uh, would work it um, might already exist we don't know in well, development so it just hasn't the, been released well, yet I mean, it's just a sideline yeah yeah <laughs> some people have yeah some people have suggested that I uh, I maybe try to do that but I think that Facebook have got there first because you know they've announced now that they're they're doing a dating service and um, that basically I think will have all the technology of Kismet because it's got the the sort of scope of the number of people that are part of it and also it can draw data from everything that you do so I think the, the real world has caught up with the with the book i do not want mark zuckerberg in charge of my romantic decisions <laughs> but what if it what if he proves to be amazing he probably at it? already what is if, yeah <laughs> probably already is but i think that's the, what i was trying to get across was that um and i'm not sure that this has actually worked because most people see it as a slightly dystopian or scary thing but i wanted to get across the idea that it is actually really effective the reason it's so popular and so ubiquitous is because it really actually works and i think that Lots of people really enjoy um, online dating and it's been really positive and in many ways for many people. So I wanted to get that 
element of it across. Obviously for Anna it's much more complicated but yeah I did want to show both sides of it. That's so interesting because I didn't read it necessarily as a dystopian novel. I don't think it is a dystopian novel. I think it has elements of Mm. that and obviously you address issues of technology but what is interesting is how we as the reader don't always like our reality being reflected back at us in our in the fiction that Mm. we're reading but you didn't you didn't shy away from that. No, it's kind of the opposite of escapism, isn't it? Like, I, I think I really like reading books that show me a world very similar to the one that I inhabit, and that's kind of what I'm drawn towards. So I sort of went to town on the descriptions of London and the places in London and the bus routes and, um, yeah, the different sort of bars and areas because that's kind of what I like to read in books myself, and I like to read books where the issues that, happen in my own life or that affect people that I know are also sort of analysed and drawn out so for me it was always about trying to look at my own life and our own society rather than trying to kind of provide an escape or a distraction from that Mm, and maybe that's the sort of that's the central premise of a dystopian novel that actually it's a bit too close to home and that's why it that's why it hits home I'm that's, just that's, I'm, I'm spitting here. But that's why things. That's why I like things like Black Mirror that don't specify when they're where they when they are in the future. Are so mm. are so eerie, aren't they? Because it's that kind of like it could be now, it could be in the future. It mm. could, we don't know what this is, but it's kind of similar. There's been there's, I read an article that was like ten times Black Mirror came true. Yeah, and like, yeah. and it, you know, like that kind of, you know. So maybe if, we're living in that time. If you want to really freak <laughs> yourself out, seek out the Simpsons memes where they have predicted the future and they've done it about a right, hundred yeah. times. It's terrifying. Mm. Homer just know, just knows what he's talking about. <laughs> so um, you've you've embraced obviously technology and your storytelling techniques, mm. and we, you know, this is something that we've encountered quite a lot with riffraff authors. You know, kind of um, feeding texting and that kind of stuff into the dialogue. You know, like is. We, you know, when you're trying to tell a kind of modern story, do you think that um, it's possible to not have those kind of ways of, you know, do you think that that's something the storytellers have to think about now because so much of our lives involve those ways of communicating? Yeah, I think it would be hard to to get a, around that. I yeah. mean, was there yeah, any sort what... of hesitancy, hesitancy of how you would how you would present present that or? Yeah, I mean, I think that the raises issues of technique and form when you are trying to write about social media or technology because there's a sort of tendency to try and embody the characteristics of social media in the fiction Mm. and I think when I wrote the first draft I was really trying to do that in terms of writing really short sentences short chapters uh, really sparse minimalist prose that just almost like sort of tweets you know that really just served up um, very clear images And I think I moved away from that because, and I was encouraged to move away from that by a university tutor who was just saying how the the benefit of fiction is that it can do the things that social media can't, that it actually can provide this sort of richness of experience and allow you into the consciousness of a character in a way that social media, which tends to be, you know, very shallow and a veneer, never really can. So I think I actively tried to remove those elements um, from the book. Uh, but I think there's other writers that have really incorporated them quite effectively. Some people like Tao Lin, um, you know, someone who writes, he actually writes what's written in emails in um, punctuation marks as if it is actually being spoken by the characters. You know, he doesn't actually differentiate on the page what's digital communication and what's actually spoken and um 
yeah, so definitely I think it can be done effectively, but I, I try to shy away from that. Yeah. Do you think there's even a place anymore for writers who want to write, you know, classic tales or, you know, very sort of straightforward literary, fi- you know, fiction or literary fiction or memoir or any, even any genre that's set in, you know, the modern day? Do well, you think I there's any so. way to escape it? Um, well, I, I certainly hope so, because I, I think that literature should be a way of, of, of escaping the characteristics of, of social media and the fact that it does appeal to um, short attention spans and encourages us to be constantly interested in what we're seeing. You know, if you, if you don't, you only click on those tweets you find instantly engaging or those Facebook posts. So um, I think literature should strive to make people engage in something that does take a, a bit longer and is a bit slower. So, I mean, I'd like to think that people will continue being interested in those types of, of books because it, it gives some kind of um, break from the sort of entertainment of yeah, social media. Instant gratification. Yeah, yeah. Like that, yeah. Well, hopefully, otherwise we're all bothered. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. Um, and Anna, we've talked about you know, bad decisions that she's making, good decisions and, you know, her sort of discomfort at points with her own situation and her confusion. How do you, how did you go about creating a character who is in a quite a constant state of sort of up and down and confusion Mm. without prefacing every paragraph with, Anna felt confused? Yeah, no, I I think that that is a kind of issue of how to to balance that sort of psychological turmoil and um obviously sometimes you you will have to have those kind of paragraphs that just explain her thoughts in a very straightforward way and and um making clear what her indecision is about and other times you want to just sort of express it indirectly by something that she's doing whether it be the fact that she can't decide what what to wear or just just some indirect way just to sort of break that need to constantly just be sort of telling the the reader what she's thinking um but again these things i think are much more iterative and subject to going back through the book and trying to make sure that the chapters are balanced and that you know that there's sufficient action interspersed with those um psychological um, elements as well so uh, yeah as opposed to it being a kind of a technique as such it was more a case of trial and error I think and how much did the editing process help you with that um, massively because each part of the editing process there were there were quite big gaps in time so I wrote it quite quickly when I was doing a master's in creative writing and then waited for a little while for my agent because I, I got an agent at the, at the end of the the course to come back with some thoughts and it gave me that sort of space to um come again and look again at the book with fresh eyes and in the time between say one draft and the next I would have probably almost changed my own literary tastes and I remember when I first started writing the book I was really into those sort of minimalist writers and um then I really got into Irish writers and particularly sort of really long-winded Irish writers people like John Banville that write sort of whole paragraph long um, sentences and yeah so I I think the editing process was invaluable um, at allowing me to sort of look at the novel anew with fresh eyes and seeing where 
you know those parts of the the books were too repetitive or too heavy but um and also allowing you you know you mentioned earlier about really enjoying writing about setting and you know like there's, there's a wonderful line where you write about um about Vauxhall and yeah. you describe it as a roundabout and lots of gay clubs which is, which is essentially what it is in my head yeah yeah, yeah. no I was, I was talking about that with someone at work just today in fact yeah. and they were defending Vauxhall but I, I wouldn't budge an inch I was just adamant that yeah I just haven't I don't see many um, oh, redeeming features. There, which is fun to look at. Sure. Yeah. And in fact, it's the only time I've ever agreed with Donald Trump when he was complaining about the US embassy moving to sort of... It's only down the, just down there, actually, wouldn't it? And I thought that, yeah, you know, I probably would also complain if I was moved <laughs> there. But, um, yeah, I think that having lived in London my whole adult life, pretty much, it was just a really fun element of the novel, being able to bring different places to life. And I think... Um, one of the unique aspects of London is that it has very different elements in different areas and different visual identities in a way that perhaps, say, Paris or New York doesn't. And that just adds to that sort of fun, say, Notting Hill has a very different feel to and the South Bank, which has a different feel to Vauxhall, etc. And how do you communicate that to readers who don't know that particular setting? Because for, for yeah. you know, Amy and I are Londoners, I'd love, you know, I could imagine it so clearly being on the embankment and, you know, in, near Vauxhall and Soho and all these places. But, you know, how do you communicate a sense of place mm. to a reader who's never been there? Yeah, I think that's quite an interesting issue. And in writing groups that I'm part of, it normally divides people when you have a piece of writing that alludes to um, places or, or any area of knowledge that others aren't familiar with. Say if um, there's references to a local a slang or something that people aren't familiar with or the writers say like Juno Diaz that have all those sort of vernacular from Hispanic communities that you don't necessarily um, know immediately what they mean I've always quite liked that because I think it adds an authenticity if there's bits of knowledge that go beyond your own it, it makes me sort of believe that the, the writer really knows what they're talking about and I suppose books about New York. I've never been to New York. I feel like I know it quite well just from reading books about it. And I quite like those bits that talk about, um, you know, the East Village. I don't have, I have no idea really what those places are like. But for me, I always like books that take me a bit beyond what I see myself. So I, I'd, li I'd like to think that someone that doesn't know London would still get something out of it. But I know that some people don't like that. They, they want to understand what pretty much everything means mm. i think setting's so important to to a book to kind of like to understanding the characters as well and like mm. i think it's like a lovely element to add in there when you mentioned earlier about um originally setting out with kind of the sort of sparse writing in mind mm. you know i'm i'm considering well i would like my my next book to be quite sparse <laughs> but do you think it's do you think that's kind of like a natural reaction when you're when you're so keen to get an idea down you're just kind of like i'll just keep it short and sweet and then, and then that'll be. But I think there's obviously such a fine art to mm. writing. I know, obviously, you, you didn't stick fully with the sort of really sparse kind of thing. But did you were your early drafts really sparse, and then you kind of added in? I mean, I know you sort of mentioned a bit of the editing process. But yeah, was that kind of what you went for just to get the story down initially? I think it it did actually. Um, it did exist in my writing before then, like my early short stories that I wrote, on, and I did write a novel before this one actually. And, is um, it in a drawer? I have to ask. Where is it? Please say it's in a drawer. It's in a drawer. Yes. It's on a hard drive. In a it's drawer. In an email. It's in an Yeah. Please um, say it's just, just humour me here, Lee. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I went through the kind of standard route of trying to get that out to agents and things a few years ago, but it didn't uh, didn't work out. But um, yeah, that novel was written in the sort of 
bass minimalist way and um it was just a sort of passion of mine as a, as a reader for quite a few years and writers like Don DeLillo and um and Brett Easton Ellis and uh, Raymond Carver Ernest Hemingway you know I was just Miranda July as well like yeah, I think she's and I still love it as well as like Sally Rooney's book I mean oh. I really like how crisp the writing is Ben Lerner another one who just yeah it, I'm still really drawn to that writing but um once I think I got the the book deal and then I had the opportunity to write it again knowing it was going to come out as a book I think I, I had that feeling of like right I'm really going to make the most of every scene of every moment and really sort of squeeze um, all I could out of it in terms of just adding in all those different details so I think yeah the the sort of the desire to pack as much into your book as possible particularly your debut book yeah. um, maybe that does veer away it, it kind of veers you away from that minimalist approach mm, yeah. yeah no my next book I'm also trying to keep it a bit more mm. um, spare tell us about your next book um, if you can, if you can. You it's also to, set yeah. in London. Like I can't quite. Yeah, I haven't managed to get away from that as being a sort of big. I if you've lived here your whole life. Well, my just since graduating, I, I suppose, and I think that's probably why I'm still kind of um, in its thrall because I didn't grow up here. Like, I grew up in a tiny village, so yeah. maybe oh, wow. that's why I'm still a bit mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, I still have that initial kind of buzz. Um, but it's about uh, the man this time, so I, I was really keen to write from a male perspective and to write in the first person and um, it's about a guy who meets a group of migrants randomly in the in the woods and then ends up having a relationship with these migrants who are living in the sort of illegal black market economy in, in London wow. and he's a sort of like professional British born guy but having this kind of relationship with people that obviously have a completely different perspective of the city and what it means for them and living here illegally and um Oh, it sounds yeah. fascinating. Sounds really yeah. interesting. Do you yeah. think you could have written Anna in the first person? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think I would have struggled. I think I... Um, and what I, th- I think one of the actual positive things about the minimalist approach I took is it allowed me to skirt around elements of femininity that perhaps I wasn't that comfortable with. So it'd be like, oh, it's not the fact that I don't understand this area of femininity. It's that I'm writing in a minimalist way. And I think that in a <laughs> in a first person... Um, yeah. might have been harder mm. Mm. I th- and maybe it just it's just another step of um authenticity it would have it would have been a bolder move to write in the first person i'm struggling to think of any male writers that have written a female character in the first person just give us a pause while we all think about it. You seem to be the person who knows all the writers. <laughs> <laughs> we should know. Well, if, if anyone knows any, yeah. please let us exactly. know. Exactly. Otherwise, yeah. We'll, we'll yeah, we'll put your answers on a postcard. Um, you had a baby whilst right. Well, your, your partner had a baby. Yes. Well, yes. Well, you both had a baby. Yes, obviously, but one of you gave birth to it. Sure. Congratulations. Um, congratulations Thank you. Um, can you tell us if that? I would imagine it impacted on the way that you were writing the book in terms of how much time you could give to mm. it. I wonder if it changed the way that you wrote at all, apart from more quickly. When I'm writing. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be honest, by the time she came along, I pretty much most of it was in place. So I was kind of hurrying to get the the draft that went to the the publishers. So the last major edit by the time she was born. So. 
that's probably the big impact i was hurrying to get it done before the due date so that was you know one big practical yeah. pressure, pressure. Yeah, yeah. I, had, yeah. I had this image of your partner on like a birthing ball and you're just manically <laughs> typing away and they're going like, i'm almost there yeah. <laughs> it wasn't quite as good as that i'm gonna write a novel here yeah it was you know it was almost like that in that you know i was kind of um in the in the weeks running up to the due date i was sort of really um trying to to spend as much time as possible um on my own writing and not being as as supportive so you know i was really um calling in lots of sort of favors at that at that point (laughs) and and, um that sort of continues because obviously yeah it, it does lead to a dramatic reduction in the time that you can spend writing like i can very rarely spend more than uh, an hour at a time now yeah. writing so that that obviously is quite difficult but I suppose the main way it's affected the writing is that it's a book about settling down it's a book about making those decisions and when I first had the idea years and years ago because I, I first thought of it as a short film idea because me, me and my friend used to make short films and at that point I was um, single and um, obviously now the book's come out I, I do have one year old daughter so I've been through that same process that Anna is also um, going through so it's kind of informed a lots of her um, I suppose issues and decisions um, yeah I suppose that's the main sort of thing and also it's, you know it's, it's good to be going through those same conundrums because then you can kind of understand you can it can, it can make the writing realer can't it you know like yeah of, and, and all my friends pretty much have been through these same issues and my brother and sister and um yeah and you you have those friends that go through real crises and suddenly call off weddings or um yeah just can't decide on whether to settle down and stuff and you spend hours in the pub just going back and forth and you just realize there's no real sort of principles to guide people in these decisions like they just kind of have to make a Go. Make a guess, yeah, yeah, and, and then like, and you know, and like the whole kind of idea of settling down, like, it's, it's as if you think that when when you do, that that's it, mm. and it's not, is it? Obviously, there's so much no. more to to figure out, and so much more to progress with, and it's kind of like, and you know, you yeah. don't, how do you ever know what's going to happen? Yes, absolutely. Knows. Yeah, no, Kismet does know everything. <laughs> that's <knows>. true. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, really, we always love to hear about writers. Um, like writing techniques mm. so obviously you mentioned that you can't really do more than an hour at time that's obviously made you much more efficient because you know there's no time for dilly dallying <laughs> do you yeah. What, yeah can you tell us a little bit about your kind of techniques sure well now it is very much shaped by my um my situation and um i think i therefore have to just write in really short bursts and even if it's just a couple of sentences i see that as useful because it just keeps the ideas alive and it's like I'm just trying to not let the paint dry just by constantly looking um, back at where I am and adding a tiny bit at a time so um, that's um, that's basically how I uh, am doing it and I think it's made me more conscious of how valuable the time that I do have is which makes has made me more of a planner I mean I think I've I was I planned fairly carefully for this book but for my new one I've become even more like you know I've got a big spreadsheet and it's all you know very much detailed and there's a roadmap of where I'm going because I just don't think I'd be able to deal with the idea that I was just you know on this two three year journey that I didn't know exactly where the destination was so I think I've had to be a lot more um yeah stringent in that way 
Mm. I get so weird, like so weirdly excited when people mention spreadsheets for mm. like you, you. That's like your like, idea of hell, but I, I really like planning. <laughs> yeah, and I could probably plan for years. Yeah, the planning's fun, isn't it? It's so yeah. much fun. I'm highlighting. You charts. guys are GCSE <laughs> students who are making a revision timetable and putting on yeah. GCSE yeah. students. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, it obviously works, and as does Kismet. It's a fantastic read. It's very timely. Touches on a lot of issues. A lot of readers are going to relate to. Yeah, we really enjoyed it. Thank you very and much. And thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Yeah, pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Rosie and I just wanted to thank you all so much for listening. We're so incredibly grateful. So please do let us know what you think, what you'd like more of, and any debut authors you'd like to hear from. Also, it would be really lovely if you could subscribe and give us a review so we can spread the word and give these marvellous debut authors the exposure they deserve. The Riff Raff podcast is hosted by co-founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. Come say hey at the-riffraff.com. Thank you.